0: Probably all of us have heard the phrase, I will make you fishers of men, before this evening. As we look at our study this evening, I wanted you to note Jesus' call to men and how important that is. So let's let's look at our text. Tonight we are only going to look at the first 11 verses. Uh, Lord willing, next week we will look at 12 through 16. I'm going to try to condense our Bible study to where we can just focus on a main teaching truth here. Let's follow along together. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered in And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed that he would thrust out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word... "'I will let down the net.' "'And when they had done this, "'they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, "'and their net brake. "'And he beckoned unto their partners, "'which were in the other ship, "'that they should come and help them. "'And they came and filled both of the ships, "'so that they began to sink. "'When Simon Peter saw it, "'he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "'Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord.' "'For he was astonished,' And all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so it was also, and so it was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, "Fear not, From henceforth thou shalt catch men." I'm going to pause there, and let's begin working through this. You know, being called to ministry is an amazing call. Sometimes God calls us. To use our current work to serve the lord and sometimes god calls us to leave our current work to serve him in a different way but i think as we begin this i want to make sure that we all are on the same page and that is all service is sacred all service is sacred all work is important it's a privilege for me to serve in the body it's a privilege to be called to be a pastor or to be a missionary But that is no different than the calling that God has for every one of you as a builder, as a pharmacist, as a teacher, as a computer programmer, as a whatever your calling is, all callings are sacred. Sometimes in wanting to give you the impression that what a great... Opportunity it is to serve the Lord. God's called me to be a preacher. It's the best, and you'll hear them say it's the highest calling, and you can't have anything better than that. You can't do this, you can't do that. But the reality is, it gives you the impression that somehow what God's called you to do is less than what God called me to do. And that is wrong. Work is honorable. And God gifts every one of us differently, and the body functions as a body. And if the whole body were a head, it really would be awkward. And if the whole body were hands or the whole body were feet, you get the idea. What works is when the whole body's a body. And so as we look at Peter's call tonight, I just want to encourage you that you don't begin to either get this idea of elevating a pastor and say, Wow, the pastor is everything. That's not true. A pastor is important in the body, just like every other part of the body is important. And you take out a part of the body, and that really doesn't work well. So I just mentioned that to you because as we get into this, I want to make sure that we're all thinking the same thing and we're understanding that all all service is sacred. If he calls you to leave your boat, gratefully accept that call. If God calls you to use your boat, gratefully use your boat. And in this text, we're going to see God, Jesus Christ, has Peter do both. And that's an important thing for us to remember tonight. What Jesus sees, and here's the thing tonight that I want us to focus on, Jesus sees people. Now I'm gonna begin in verse one, uh, as we study this passage, and I want you to notice the passage geography. The passage geography and the accuracy of Luke's account. Now Luke was not with Jesus and the disciples at this point. You remember Dr. Luke was a man that worked with the apostle Paul. We're in a different time frame. Yet Luke says, I have a first-hand account of all these different things. Luke had been to the places, had visited them, had talked to eyewitnesses. But notice the way Luke talks about this area. He talks about the Lake of Gennesaret. You know, Luke is the only one that uses that term. Matthew, Mark, and John all talk about the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And the reason why, in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about Jesus' ministry around the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, There's one other term that it uses. Luke's the only one that says, it's the Lake of Gennesaret. Oh, it's Sea of Chenaroth. I knew that term would come back to me. You'd find that in the Old Testament. Luke, though, You look at what he describes here. Luke has been there. Luke understands where this is. And Luke says, no, there is the Mediterranean Sea. This is a lake. It's kind of an oval-shaped, 13 miles by 9 miles. It's a big lake, but it's just a lake. And Luke calls it specifically by that. You're going to find, as Luke describes what's taking place here, Uh, it says that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them. What you would need to know, have any of you been to uh, Israel over to the Holy Land? Some of you have, okay. Have you been to the Sea of Galilee? You've seen those slopes. All right, now specifically up on the northern edge, uh, probably in the north east corner, you would see that this has a wonderful gradual sloping, and there's not a whole lot of beach. It takes you almost right down to the water. Now, depending on where you are on that Sea of Galilee, on the Lake of Gennesaret, you will find some of the places it's steeper, but at the end where he talks about where Peter lived and where this location would have been, it's, it's a gradual slope, and so what happens is the people keep pressing and keep pressing down, and they can just keep walking down, and all of a sudden, they're down on Jesus, and he is literally against the water. And the description that, that Luke is giving helps us to know he is dead on. He's exactly right in this location. The best place for Jesus to teach would have been... In the water, on the water, where a sea that is calm, the sound would have come off the water and possibly a breeze coming off the water, and the people that were on this sloped hill, they could have heard him speaking. And Jesus takes the position of teaching, and he's seated. Today, when I teach, you're seated. In Jewish culture and in the old cultures, out of respect, the students stood And the teacher sat. And Jesus was sitting. Wouldn't you like that? All your students would have to stay awake and they couldn't text nearly so often, could they? Because you could be sitting and they would be standing trying to juggle their books and their writing tablets and everything else. So Luke is describing this wonderful place where Jesus is teaching. And I want you to notice not only the passage um, geography, I want you to notice the passage focus in verses two through four. And Jesus saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. We'll pause there for just a moment. He saw a crowd that wanted to hear God's word. And it's interesting as you read this, what was it that the people really wanted? They pressed upon him to hear the word of God. In the language it was written, it's hard to tell at first. Were they saying we want to hear God's word? Were they saying we want to hear words about God, which would also be accurate? Or were they saying we want to hear the word from God? Imagine the excitement of having a prophet that is there and the prophet is saying, I can tell you I've got a message from God. Now, all three of those would have been accurate. He saw two boats. Not only did he see a crowd, he saw two boats, two ships. And he saw fishermen that managed those boats. He saw fishermen washing out their nets. There were different kinds of nets that the men used. There was a smaller net that they would have used sometimes from the land or sometimes from the boat, but it would have been in very shallow water. They would have cast it, and then when it it was weighted, and then they would draw it up quickly to be able to catch fish. There was another net that was weighted on two of the corners and had um, floats on the other two corners. And they would drop those, and the net would drop like this. And then they would go out into the water and pull up the the corners that are down to to catch the fish inside it. They would also do that same thing out in the deep. Normally, they would do their fishing near the edge at that time of day uh, during the night because that was the best time for catching fish. He saw fishermen. He saw boats, he saw nets, but notice specifically he saw people. Jesus saw Peter, James, and John. Now I'm going to submit to you by Peter's response when he says, We have been toiling all night and they were struggling to get the nets up. Peter was not fishing by himself. I personally believe his brother Andrew was with him again. In, the, in other passages, he tells us that Peter and Andrew were partners in the fishing business. So I'm going to submit to you, I believe they're there. If you don't want to believe that, that's okay, because it's not in the text. So it's an opinion. But I believe that would be true. Peter, Andrew, a guy named Philip, all lived in Bethsaida. Would you like to guess what Bethsaida means? It means house of fish. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's right on the water, and it was called the house of fish. Now, Jesus had met them before. If we were to turn over to John chapter 1, verses 35 through about 52, you would find Jesus met them the first time. This is not the first time that Jesus had spoken with them. This is at least the second time and probably the third time. The first time Jesus introduced himself to them and met them. The second time you would find will be in Matthew chapter four. It's, uh, I'm drawing a blank. I believe it's about verse 17 through verse 19 of Matthew chapter four, when Jesus says, follow me. And when they do that, they do follow Jesus, but it doesn't mean that they stopped fishing. I'm going to try to give you an exact reference to where you can go back and you can study that for yourself. In chapter 4, to verse 18 of Matthew, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. They did. They became followers of Jesus Christ. But I do not believe at that point they stopped fishing, or at least if they did, I believe they returned to fishing, which may actually be part of the reason why Jesus took Peter back out and took him fishing one more time. But as we continue, let's think about these men that he saw. What do we know about Peter, James, and John, and if Andrew was there we know that they had been fishing all night so what do we also assume they were worn out they were tired we also know they still had work to do didn't they they had to clean their nets these nets had to be washed out if they didn't wash out their nets they would begin to rot Almost all of these nets were hand-woven. I thought it's interesting. The Greek word that they use here for, uh, for a net is actually the word for lattice, which kind of gives us that same idea of it. And so as lattice, these things had to be washed out. They had to be rinsed so that the things wouldn't get in it and deteriorate that net. So the men had been working all night. They had left their boats to go clean out their nets. So they were tired. They had been working all night. They were tired. They had more work to do. Now, I thought it was interesting. So how well did Jesus know Peter at this point? If you'd back up to chapter 4, just at the end of that chapter in verse 38, we read, and he, Jesus, arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. He had healed Simon's mother-in-law. He knew Peter. Peter knew him. Peter was a disciple of Jesus's. This was not their first meeting. And it's interesting, you notice now, there's probably been at least three major meetings. Jesus met him in the book of John. Jesus met them while they were at work in Matthew chapter 4. Mark chapter 1 also mentions this. But you notice the differences in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 5, and you realize these are not the same story. You can't force these two. The circumstances are so different. So I'm going to submit this is at least the second time when Jesus has called Peter in our text for the night. Jesus called the men, and some of you are thinking of the passage in John chapter 21 as well, where after the resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus has been crucified, and what does Peter say? I go fishing. And the others said, we go too. They were discouraged. They felt like what had happened was, was not going well, and they were going to go back to what they knew. You notice in John 21, the story is different. The nets don't break. In John 21, they come to the shore, Jesus has already cooked things for them. These are not all the same stories. Some some commentators, some people would say, oh yeah, well they all just took each other's stories. No, these are specific events that Jesus is wanting us to know. Well, we've seen the passage geography and we've seen the uh, passage focus, which is on people. And I want you to notice the passage opportunity that's here. In verse 3, he says, Peter, would you take your boat out a little way so that I can teach from it? He could use his boat for the master's teaching if he was willing. In verses 4 and 5, he could use his profession for the master's bidding. Look with me, it says, Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now, at that point, Peter had an opportunity. At this point, Peter's not thinking teaching again. Now, maybe Peter had been sitting in that boat, kind of dozing off as Jesus was teaching because he'd been working all night. I'm sure that never happened to you, but occasionally I've seen people when they come into to church and they've worked so hard, they come in, they sit down, and they just cannot keep their eyes open. Maybe Peter had that problem. Maybe Peter was sitting in there going, boy, those people need that. I'm so thankful Jesus is here. I'm thankful Jesus can use my boat. These people need to be hearing what Jesus is saying. And that's probably true. And maybe some of us have done that too. But you know, even when God has a message for other people, God has a message for you. And so I don't know what was taking place. I do know this, that after Jesus had done all this teaching, Jesus had one more lesson that he wanted to teach. Peter, and so he said, would you let down, would you go out and let down the nets? And I'm sure Peter's going, well, Jesus is hungry. Jesus needs something. Jesus, you're a really good teacher. I'm a professional fisherman. I have fished all night long. All of us have. And we caught zip, zero. The fish are not catching today. And by the nevertheless statement that he makes, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Most of the commentators that I read say there was a discussion that had taken place here. And Peter was finally going, okay. Did Jesus have to ask him several times? I don't know. But something happened where Peter had this, we've been fishing all night, they're not biting. Master, nevertheless. Okay. I thought it was interesting, the word master. We're going to see later he's going to use a different word for Jesus. This term right here is a generic term of the person in authority. It's like, okay, you're the boss. That's really the response that he's giving now, I don't know how much I can make out of this. And I, if, if you're interested, you can come up and ask me later. But in verse Y, I'm saying I don't know how much I can make out of this. But in verse 4, it says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw, for a catch. Look at verse 5. What does Peter respond? Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the Net. Was Peter saying, I've just washed out the nets. Okay, I'll, I'll throw a net in. We're not throwing the nets in. That's just more cleaning. Was he humoring Jesus? Was he not? I don't know. It's interesting. What we read is a plural and a singular, and then you're going to see in the next verse, singular. One man, a guy named uh, G. Campbell Morgan, who is a pastor from the 40s, G. Campbell Morgan makes the statement that had Peter thrown in the nets the way he should have, he wouldn't have burst his net because he would have had enough nets in there. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I do find this fascinating. Um, He was also in Israel, and he was talking to some of the fishermen that were on uh, the Sea of Galilee. He was watching them come in, and as they came in, he asked them, he said, I was seeing lots of fish, but obviously no one was busting their nets, and everyone still was fishing by net. So he said, so I asked the guy, he said, what did you catch? And... He said, Poisson Saint-Pierre, which means Saint Peter's fish. And uh, no, I'm sorry, this was Dr. Ironside that was asking this question. And Dr. Ironside said, so are those some of the fish that Peter caught? Not figuring, what are they really meaning? And they said, no, these are some of the children of the fish that he didn't catch. And he said, the interesting thing was, all these hundreds of years later, all the fish, which are tilapia, we know that term, all these fish are still considered, are called by St. Peter's fish today. That's what the fishermen still use. Interesting tidbit. Don't know what that really means to this study other than, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. So he says, all right, I'll let down my net, master, In verse 6, and when they had done this, and that was the they, and we read that the guys in the other boat aren't there yet. That's the reason why I'm submitting to you, I believe there was someone in that boat with Peter other than Jesus, and I believe that person would have been his normal fishing partner, which would be Andrew. That was just where I'm coming from that. It says, and there was a great number of multitude and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. How could one net nearly sink two boats? How could one net nearly sink two boats? And I would submit to you because the creator said, fish, get in the net. And that's the reason why Peter at that point says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He doesn't call him that same generic master term. Now he chooses to use a much more different term. And Peter's response, I would submit, is he saw Jesus afresh for who he was. When we see the Savior for who he is, we see ourselves differently. Peter said, I'm a sinful man. Job, in Job 42, verse 5, when God starts speaking to Job, Job says, I'm nothing. And Isaiah chapter 6, what did Isaiah say? I'm a man of unclean lips. Interesting thing is, whenever we see Jesus for what he really is. When Jesus is lifted up, we get the right view of what we are like. And when Jesus is not lifted up, then we struggle with pride. And Jesus shows Peter. Now, why would this so trip up peter that immediately he would fall on his knees and i've tried to visualize this imagine you got a boat that's sinking that is full of fish so you got peter and you got andrew trying to get a net in you got jesus standing in the middle of this boat full of fish he's there too and peter now falls on his knees on top of all these fish and says depart from me what was it that jesus wanted peter to learn or remember he was a creator. And he could do whatever he wanted. Peter was a professional and he knew this could not happen. It could not happen. I've just been out here. This couldn't happen except God did it. And God does those things in our lives where God wants to get our attention and He wants to just remind us you can trust me, I'm God. And if I tell you to do something which you say, well, I think there's a better way to do this or that doesn't make sense, God is wanting us to remember he's God and you're not. And we do what God says because he is God. Now, God never asks us to do something that would be wrong, but God may ask us to do something which is counterintuitive to what you as a professional would say, this is the way God wants it done. And God says, no, this is the way I want my work done Peter knew what had just taken place. Notice with me in verse 10. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Now this is, this, this is at least the second time, maybe the third time Jesus has spoken to Peter and said, Peter, I'm changing your occupation. And from this point on, this is where we begin to see the major change where Peter left everything and followed. Did Jesus give... All the fish just to get his attention? Maybe. Did Jesus also give all the fish so that these men would have something to live on when they were not able to follow their professions, to to take care of their families? Probably. Because all those men, this is where they lived. And Jesus, remember, he says, you know, had the same miracles been done in... uh, I just went blank. Sodom and Gomorrah that had taken place... In their area, he said, those cities would have repented. So these were all happening where they were near their families all the time, but they were out with Jesus now. They were walking with Jesus. They didn't have the income. But notice Jesus' comment. He says, fear not. We often fear the unknown. We fear what we can't see. We fear what we don't know is going to happen. And that's what seems to get us the most. And Jesus, looking at Peter, says, Peter, trust me. Trust me. The word henceforth, it's a new phase in Peter's life. And here's the thing I want to challenge you with. God's call and God's commission is always enough. As you study this passage, no matter what God's calling you to do right now, you're saying, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I can speak to my neighbor. I don't know that I can help with this. I don't know that I could ever teach. I don't know that I could, and you fill in whatever that blank is for you, and I would just encourage you to remember this. He's the creator. God's call and God's commission is always enough for you, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. And please, as I mentioned at the beginning, remember God doesn't call all of us to do the same thing. And because God calls someone to be a pastor, that doesn't make that person any better than anyone else. It's just the call that God's put on his life. I was talking to a guy today, and I needed, I, I told him, I said, I just don't know what to do. I need an expert to tell me what to do. And we were talking about something else, and I said, now that's an area that I'm familiar in. I said, I can help you with that. But I said, but I need you to help me with this. you see what a body is like? This is a local church. I'm so excited for what God's going to do in this church because God's put us here. God put you here on purpose. Use your gifts. We're going to need to elect some people to hold different offices in the church. If you're an office holder, great. If you're not an office holder, that's okay too because you see... We each need to have our own jobs. And as we come to a church, this is going to really be important. You know, if you're in a family and, no, and a person's not doing anything in the house, they're either sick, a guest, or they're lazy. Now, when someone's sick, what do you do? You have them lay on the couch and you bring them food and you take care of them because you want them to get well. But once they get well, you say, get off the couch. Get up and start doing stuff. It's not even healthy for you to just lay on the couch. Now, guests, when they come in, we don't expect them to do things for us. You know, I probably have been negligent about the offering box. I really have. But a lot of times we've got guests coming in, and I'm not trying to. God's going to provide for this body. I'm trying not to make people think, when you walk in this door, if you're especially an unsafe person, we're trying to get money out of you. That's not what I want. But if you're part of the body, give as God provides for you. And God's got to do cool stuff here for us. Let me challenge you with this. The Lord of nature reminds us how powerful he is. He chooses to let us be part of his working. And that's the thing that's so exciting. God could have done that with the fish and just said, fish, jump on shore. Couldn't he? I mean, that's as easy as saying fish jump in the net. But Peter got to be part of it. That's the exciting thing for us. God can do without us. But God allows us to be a part of what he's doing. And I hope you can be excited about that. He sees you tonight. He made you on purpose. And he will let you be part of his incredible work. But here's the question I've got for you. Are you willing to let God use your boat? Can God use your boat tonight? Every one of us has a boat. And he says, could I use your boat? Now, your boat looks different than my boat. Are you willing to trust him with your nets? I hope tonight you walk out here going, yes! I would be glad to let him use my boat, and he can use my nets, and if he wants me to leave my boat, that's fine. But the reality is, he doesn't call everyone to leave their boat and to change occupations. So enjoy where you are. And he'll make it very plain for you if he wants you to leave your boat and do something else. Just be available. And it starts by letting him have your boat. Can we just bow our heads for a moment? And while we bow our heads, have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you ever said, I trust him. He came to be my savior. I accept him. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I want to be your disciple. That's the greatest thing that could happen in your life. And if you've already done that tonight, would you just be willing to say tonight, dear God, please take my boat. Use it any way you want. If you want me, to leave my boat, that's okay, because I trust you. You're the creator. You can make this happen. But Lord, right now, you haven't called me away from my boat, so would you use my boat? Let me just see your hand in my life. Father, I ask that for each of us tonight. I ask for your blessing. I ask that we would go out, sing your goodness, that we would see your power, and that we would just be excited to be part of what you're doing. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.